We're in Tennessee. You might say she's got a pea pick at heart. Remember old Tennessee Ernie Ford? I think that was one of his favorite sayings. Two weeks ago, began a series on biblical baptism. We talked that first Sunday about what is it? Because not everything that's called by a name is that thing. Man got on a train once and he got hungry and he went to the dining car and he saw, oh, ham sandwich. That's a pretty good prize. So he ordered it and he got the sandwich, took a bite, and wait a minute. He opened the two slices of bread and it was mayonnaise and a little bit of mustard and no ham. And he said, hey, what's going on here? I paid for a ham sandwich. You got a ham sandwich. said that man that's just the name of the sandwich you can call a thing a thing doesn't make it a thing and then last week we talked about not only what is it but who should be baptized and every case we have of biblical baptism the one who is baptized is already a child of God. Jesus wasn't baptized in order to become the Son of God. None of us, if we were scripturally baptized, thus became a child of God. If you check your birth certificate, I don't think that piece of paper is what gave you the name. The name is just recorded they're on. There is a book, thankfully it's still in print, written by A.C. Dayton, one of the great Baptist triumvirs of the 19th century. Those three would be James Madison Pendleton, Amos C. Dayton, and James Robinson Gray the triumvirate, if you will. The people to help people stay on track to know what we believe and why we believe it. And he wrote a book called Theodosia Ernest. Any of you ever read Theodosia Ernest? Besides Marshall? I would encourage you, if you ever see an opportunity to read Theodosia Ernest, a young lady, prim and proper, probably in her late teens, early twenties. She's riding in her carriage one day, and she happens to look at there's some weird people down at the river. They're singing hymns. There's a preacher. They're taking somebody up and dunking it in the water. And she's a what in the world is that? And so she asked her driver, but that's a baptism. Baptism? She got to think. She got home and she said, Mom, that's a baptism. 
Oh, honey, that's, that's, that's a real important ritual, yeah. Um, is it a good thing? Oh, yes, it's a very good thing. Uh, have I been baptized? Oh, yes, oh, yes, you're baptized. How come I don't remember? Well, you were very young. You are very small. But I guarantee you, we were there. We saw you baptized. Was it the river? Oh, no, no. We had a special baptismal at the church house where we do that. Oh. Well, uh, these, these people, well, listen, uh, you know, different people do it different ways, but it's all the same thing. And the book is written to confront this challenge because young Theodosia Ernest is concerned. Now, if what they did was right, does that go for my baptism? I, I don't remember it. Doesn't mean anything to me. Trust me, you were. We even have a certificate. It's even written in the Bible that you were baptized. And so it's fit for us from time to time to be reminded the how. How is it that biblical baptism ought to be administered? Well, this is not multiple choice, folks. There's some people, well, they can sprinkle a little bit of water on them. And that, we call that baptism. In other places, they want to pour some water on you. And you will thus be baptized. And others say, no, no. The whole body at the same time has got to go under the surface of the water. That's the only time that's really biblical. What do you think? What's more important, what does the Bible say? That's what we need to ask. And so there's a word that we use, and that word is immersion. I want you to see that that's the example of John, who was told to begin baptizing in the first place. That's the example we find in the New Testament of immersion. Go with me, please, to the third of Matthew. It tells us about a man named John. He's called John the Baptist. If you want to be literal, you can call it John the Immerser. He isn't John the sprinkler. He isn't John the pourer. He is John the immerser. But you see, when these King James versions were translated, there was an understanding among the intelligentsia. They knew already there are different views as to what form, what mode was proper. And so they said, let's do this. Let's make everybody happy. Every time we get to that Greek word, baptizo, we'll just put it as baptized. That'll make the sprinklers happy. That'll make the pourers happy. And that should even make the immersers happy. We'll just say baptized, baptized. So you call that baptism? Hey, whatever floats your boat. You call it something else? You, you can always say, I've been <coughs> baptized. as I said in Matthew chapter 3 it tells us in verse 6 that this man John 
We call him John the Baptist to distinguish from John the Apostle. Because there was an apostle the Lord called. He was a brother of James. His, uh, his brother and he were known as the Sons of Thunder. They were rather loud speakers. But I don't think John the Baptist was any slouch. I think you could hear him on a clear day across the cawing of the crows and the buzzing of the bees. It says in verse 6 that these people had gone out in the region of Judea and all around the Jordan, which was a river. It was not a pond. It was not a little puddle someplace. It was not just a little sprinkler. But it was a river. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Drop down to verse 16. But Jesus himself went to that same man, John, that same river, Jordan, and he presented himself for baptism. He walked about 60 miles, according to the geography people, so that he could receive this baptism. And it says in verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, so after the fact, it says he went up straightway out of the water. Now, if English means anything, sounds like he went into the water and then he came out of the water. That should be a no-brainer. But some people say, well, now let's not split hairs here. I think his hairs and his knuckles and all the rest of them were in the water, don't you? They were in the water. It says, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now, if English means anything, I think we're going to take on face value. But there's some people, well, you know, uh, it means different things to different people. Let's say the Scriptures. That's our litmus test here. If you go over to the first chapter, the Gospel of Mark, then you'll find essentially the same thing. In verse 5 of chapter 1 in Mark, And they went out unto him, that is, John, all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And then of Jesus, we read in verse 10, straightway coming up out of the water. You wouldn't say that if they had sprinkled some water on his head or poured something over him. He saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. So when it came to John, he baptized in Jordan. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 3. There's a place known as Anon, or some pronounce it Enon. However you want to say it, it's the same spelling, the same understanding. John chapter 3 and verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Anon, near to Salim. Why was he baptizing there? You could just do that any place. You could be in your living room and put a little bit of water. You'd be up here in the front of the church house and put a little water, if that's all it took. But it specifically says a geographic place where they were 
Why? Why go to this place? Well, because there was much water there. You don't need much water to sprinkle. You don't really need much water to pour. But there was in that place much water. And they came and were baptized. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 8, if you doubt that it's a geographic place, you got a real hard time interpreting this passage. Philip, the preaching deacon, is moved to the Lord to get out in the desert. He was in what we would call a revival. And the Lord said, I got something else for you to do. You got someplace else to be. And so he is taken to this place. And along comes a chariot. And in that chariot there's a man reading out loud. Philip runs up to him and asks him, Do you understand what you're reading? Which is a pretty brave thing to do, you know. But the man preached unto him Jesus from that text, from what we call the book of Isaiah. It tells us in verse 35. So they rolled and rolled and rolled along. And as they were, as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. Now, this Ethiopian was probably pretty well prepared to travel. And when we travel, we always have water with us, don't you? Especially if you don't know where you're going to be. There's a spot, I'm pretty sure it's in the California desert, that marks and it says, you need gas or water, you better check now. Because the next hundred miles, you're on your own, bud. And so, knowing where water is, especially where you're traveling, is an important thing. It says they came unto a certain water. Doesn't say that as a, oh, by the way, if you're thirsty, I got a canteen down here. Here's a bottle of water. That we got some water right here. Why don't you back? No, this would not be enough to baptize me. This would not be enough to baptize you. The smallest child here. This is not enough to baptize them. As he went along, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. He's not talking about something that he needed. This is place. An oasis, if you will. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And so there in the southern desert, baptism. How could it be? Well, it had to be where there was water. You know, I, I spent some time teaching world history. And the great civilizations of the past one thing that is an essential, if you're going to have a civilization in a place, there must be large quantities of what we call potable water. Enough water that you got water to drink. Water with which to cook. Water with which to bathe. Water with which to uh, take care of your crops and your animals. Doesn't hurt to have it for a means of transportation. One of the essay questions on the first test is name some great civilizations from ancient times and tell how rivers were important. You need a large quantity of water and 
flowing water in a river is best. Now, even as a little kid, your dad always said, you want to drink water that's running. You don't want it where it's stagnant, where there's scum, with frogs and snakes swimming around in it. You gotta swish away some of the gunk to get down to the water. That's not the healthiest thing. You'll probably get sick, son, if you drink that stuff. And so it's important to find a place where there's water. And one more thing in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Where you see, Paul, by this time, Paul had been born again, and he was preaching and teaching, going about. And it tells us he came to a place called Philippi. That's where the Philippians were. Okay? And they were there in that city abiding certain days, it says in verse 12. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside. You see, when you have a lot of people, you need to get to the river. You need water to drink. You need water for your cooking. You need water for your crops. You need water for bathing. You need to go to the water. You need a ready access of plenty of potable, as we say, water. So there's a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women, which resorted thither. I don't think they went down there just to see the site. Oh, look, there's the river. Scared the river. Yep, that's the river, all right. A lot of water. Yeah, water stuff. It's, it's powerful, that stuff. Okay, let's go. No, they didn't come just to look. They may have come to drink. They may have come to take. But it's impressive. Now, by the way, it's there. But there's a woman. A woman named Lydia. And Lydia is one whose heart the Lord opened. And not only in her mind did she perceive some things, not only in her heart was she moved, but she, with her mouth, requested and she submitted to biblical baptism. Did you know that? Read with me, please. Verses 14 and 15. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, that means she sold the good stuff. Only very special people had the money or the authority to purchase purple. She is the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. She heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. That's the sermon all by itself. That she attended on the things which were spoken of Paul. So she gives a listen. She's more interested in what Paul has to say than uh, maybe what she might do in grocery shopping or something else. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So it's interesting. The example in the New Testament is water. Lots of, lots of water. Not just a little bit. Not just a few droplets, if you will. See, the very word that's translated is baptizo. Kind of sounds like baptized. That's because we have anglicized that word. We have taken a word from another language and we've taken it, in our case, into English. It's like when you go into 
taco bell and you order a tomato or something like that. Well, no, it's actually taco bell. We pronounce it the tamale. And so we take it, a word in another language, and we carry it over into English. Usually a word can mean something different in another language. And you can get in a lot of trouble when you hear a word and think, oh, I know that word. That's this word. Maybe in English it is, but maybe not in the other. They tell me that in English and in Chinese, there's one word that's identical. Awesome. But that's something else. But the very word baptizo, literally it's to dip, to dunk, to immerse, to be enveloped. You're surrounded by it. You've got it in front and behind, to the left and to the right, above and below. You are in it, not just near it, not just approximating it, but you are totally surrounded. Now, there is a man, his name was James Strong, and he was a Methodist. But he was much concerned to compile an exhaustive concordance. I think I know why they call it the exhaustive, because I bet when he got through, he was exhausted. Went through every verse and every book of the Bible, and everywhere, even has a special section of every time there's a the, an a, or an an, or a lot of those are the words we see lots and lots of times. He's even got a record of all of those. So he went through. And he's got even got a dictionary. If you look at his dictionary for baptizo, it's number 907 if you're interested in his New Testament dictionary. And he says, it means literally to make whelmed. You know what it is to be overwhelmed? I mean, you're just like if you're out on a boat and suddenly a wave washes over you and knocks you into the sea, you've been overwhelmed. If it's just a little puppy, you know, I'm underwhelmed there. But to be overwhelmed, and so he put it as to be whelmed, literally to be fully wet. I guess he didn't want to ruffle the feathers of some of his Methodist buddies, but that's what it means. He says that's what the, the, the word uh, is used as. And by the way, the translators were told when it comes to the act of admittance into the church, you're going to render this word as baptized. But the rest of the time, they didn't have to do that. And so in 1926, it says, the Lord said, I'll tell you which one's going to betray me. It's the one when I go and I and I dip and hand off. That's the one. They didn't say, when I baptize that chunk of meat. That might have given people a clue. So they rendered it as dip there, but that's the meaning. Uh, every uh, etymologist can tell you they don't know anything about Greek. That's what baptizo means. It means to pull it all, put it all the way under. At the same time, the whole thing to be there. And I want you to see something. Did you know Moses was baptized? I didn't know Moses was baptized. Well, not quite the way we have baptized. But it's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, not just Moses, but all the Hebrew nation under Moses. 
with reference to Moses, literally. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul said, you can learn some stuff from the Old Testament. The Old Testament should not be a closed book to God's people. Some people they run away from. They want to look the other way or whatever. But the Old Testament can teach you quite a bit. Teach you quite a bit about Christ. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, talking about the ones that came out of Egypt, they came to a place called the Red Sea, they didn't take a boat to go over the top. They didn't take a helicopter and fly over. They didn't take a tunnel to go under it. They didn't bypass it. They went through the Red Sea. Now, how do you go through the sea? They didn't have a tunnel. They have a submarine. Well, when you don't have a way to get surrounded by the water, God had a way to surround the water with you. They had water all around them. Hold on, they might have seen some fish in the water over here and over there as they took that journey through on dry land. God did an amazing thing. I call that a miracle. That's a, an unusual demonstration of supernatural power. I've never seen the Lord do that. And I doubt you have either. Except maybe if you Mark Cecil be the old version of it in a movie. And so he says, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. <coughs> I thought you said this was my baptism, preacher. Well, it's three verse two. And were all baptized unto Moses. That doesn't mean they joined Moses. But they identified with Moses. Moses was their leader. And they did as Moses told them. And so they were baptized. It doesn't say they were dipped. They were enveloped. They were surrounded. Baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Hmm. They weren't just dewed up. Or sprinkled upon. So again they were. They were. Uh, as with John. They were there. And then go with me to the book of Romans and Colossians. Because when Paul is teaching about what happens to us spiritually in our salvation experience, there's a great thing that happens. Many great things that are recorded. But then in honor of, in recognition of that, they're encouraged to be baptized. A man or woman wear a ring to show that they're married. That ring doesn't make them married, but it shows it. It declares to the world. Look at me please in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. You see, baptism is the official way you identify with the Lord. How are you going to identify with the Lord? I'll do it any way I feel like. You know, Marcia said, yeah, I'll marry you, but I'll say whatever I feel like. I'll do whatever I feel like. And uh, in my mind, I'd say, oh, we need to talk. We've got a problem there. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. 
It's an identification. You want to be baptized. You are making a public declaration. That's what Theodosia heard. What are those, what are those silly people getting wet in the river? They call that baptism. Why do they call that baptism? Oh, don't worry your pretty little head. Well, my pretty little head is worried already. So I'm asking some questions. And some try to explain it away. But you see, we use the word burial. I'll bet most of us here have been to funerals. And I've never been to a funeral where if I stayed for the actual burial, they just put some dirt on the outside of the casket. Now, I know there's some cultures where they just take the body out and leave it for the birds to eat. But I don't regard that as Christian. But burial, even from ancient times, is identified as a way of the proper disposition of the body. And so he says, were baptized into his death. Therefore, based upon it, that's the reason why we are buried with him by baptism into death. There's a part of me that has died. I should think that way. I should speak that way. I should feel that way. I should act that way. A part of me is dead. That goes right along with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have done away. All things have become new. Amen. So we read of that. That light as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That was the old me. They used to cheat people. They used to lie. They used to do all kinds of wicked stuff. I, I was in a competition. How many commandments I can break? But now, I'm a new Lord. I'm a new management. I have a new mind, a new heart. I'm not to be giving in to the pressures of this world. This world would squeeze me into its mold. But I have a transformed mind. I have different priorities. I see things as God would have me too. You know, when you meet somebody, you know, I'm a Christian. Really? Yeah. And, and really nothing's changed except uh, my name's my church roll. If that's all that's changed, that's not really a testimony of the gracious work of our great God. For if we have been planted, now, I don't pretend to be a planter. Now, my dad spent a lot of time as a gardener. He said, son, if you want the seeds to grow, you've got to put them under. You've got to put them in the ground. For if we've been planting in the likeness of the death, we shall also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The Lord has given but two ordinances to the church. Communion, which, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, will be scheduled to have an observance end of this month. And that's something we do often. As often as you do it, you are showing something. You show forth the Lord's death. Well, what about baptism? 
That's not something we're to do, you know, every week. Well, let's just get rebaptized. No, no. But it does speak to the fact that we have been buried and then raised. That's why it's very important for it to be done in that way. Now, there are some people, and I cut my teeth on some of them a few years ago, who said, well, you see, there's such a thing as Holy Spirit baptism. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, has nothing to do with water. Well, the Bible does talk about Holy Spirit baptism. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's what happened in Acts chapter 10. But it's not the common form of baptism. I don't know that John... Now John did say, I baptize with water because he put people totally under. And he said there are some who will be baptized with fire. I've heard people say, Lord, fill me. I want to be baptized with fire. You don't want to be baptized with fire. Fire in front, fire behind, fire to the left, fire to the right, fire above. No. Uh, now there is a place called the Lake of Fire. I think that's what John was talking about when we talk about to be another who baptizes with the fire. But that's another message. But some of these people will be so bold as to say, there is no water in Romans chapter 6. In other words, what talks about being buried with him by baptism into death, they say, that's the spirit baptism. Really? It seems awfully strange that that's what the New Testament teaches. Because I'm satisfied it doesn't teach that. That's just somebody's way of trying to get out of the confines, they would say, of scriptural baptism. In Colossians chapter 2, it uh, also speaks of baptism as a burial. Not just a light coating or anything like that. Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now somebody just put a little bit of water on top of my head. Okay, now you can be raised from that. What do you mean raised? Just shake it off. Okay, how's that for a raisin for you? Hmm. Not, not quite the same thing now, is it? So to be enveloped. In Genesis 23 and verse 4, you say, you're talking about baptism, preacher. Yes, I am, but there's a picture. A picture of a burial. It tells us in Genesis 23 that Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah, had died. And even though by faith he knew God was going to give to his inheritance a great tract of land, Abraham didn't have a title deed for even a square inch. So he went to the sons of Heth and asked to purchase some land so he could bury his beloved Sarah's body. Now they're willing to give it to him. No, no, I want to pay for it. I want to do it out in the open. Because baptism is not something we do off in a corner. It's a public thing. We don't mind people looking. We don't sneak around. At 2 o'clock in the morning, we're all going to come by and keep all the lights off. And we'll just have a, a real quick, a real quiet dunking. And, and that'll be it. No! I mean, uh, if we have a 
a house full of folks. That's okay by me. You don't have to have a house full of folks. But uh, you don't want to shoo people away. This is secret, you know. This is a special initiation or anything like that. No. So what did Abraham say? He says, bury my dead out of my sight. I know that's graphic, but it's what a burial is. Folks, if you go to a grave and you see a hand sticking up out of the grave, somebody messed up. That's not good. You want to put them all the way under. And somebody said, well, maybe somebody, maybe this, this, that, and the other. But uh, there's a reason why it's called a burial. And then we talk about baptism as the historic way because historically, you see, the only baptisms from the earliest days were always by immersion. The whole idea of sprinkling came about when somebody said, well, you know, if you're saved and then you're baptized, and we know they're baptized, so well, they're probably going to be okay in heaven. Now, by the time things got to jolly old England in the days of Wycliffe, Wycliffe was confronted by a, a distraught woman. She said, my baby died before we could have him baptized. And, and so my baby's not in heaven. Well, what happened to your baby? Your God turned him into a firefly and he's flying around in the swamps. Now the Bible never says anything about your baby turning into a firefly and flying around by the swamps. But you see, there are some people, they want to have a hold on your mind. They want you to feel like they've, they've got you. Kind of like what we do with a fish sometimes, you know. So from the beginning of the, this church age, people said after a while, well, you know, if you're making a professional faith, you're a pig, you're walking the right way. Well, that's all well and good. But you know, what we really want to know is, when were you baptized? And people wrote it in places. As Bibles became more and more plentiful, it became very important. You write down when they were born, when they were baptized, and when they died. And by extension, and sometimes I even hear Baptists say, what about so-and-so? Well, I haven't baptized. I think sometimes even Baptists think, well, if they're not Baptists, are they going to make it into heaven? Are they going to be able to get in? Well, let's say the Scriptures. He that believeth. So it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It does say that. The next part of the verse is, he that believeth not shall be damned. You see, if you're going to try to paint God into a corner, I think you'll find you don't have enough paint to do that. He that believeth hath everlasting life. The Lord said, that should be good enough for us. Now, if you do believe, you are strongly encouraged to seek scriptural baptism. Just like if I told everybody, I love Marcia Harris. Oh, I love her. I can't think of living without her. So wedding bells come. Oh no, I wonder if they're married. I just want to love her the rest of my life. 
uh, you know, you want to do something about it. If you love her, if you really care for her, if you want to do things the way God has ordained, well, I don't feel the need. Whether you feel the need or not, what's going to be right by her? What's going to be right in the eyes of man? What has God said? So it's important that we do what is right, especially in God's sight. Now, some people in time change their practices because it's such an intense thing. It's so, especially with a little baby, take a little baby and boop, put him all the way under the water. You might drown the little kid. We don't want to do that. It's so much more convenient. It's so much more paced. It's a streamlined thing. Why, you can baptize 100 kids in an hour if you just. Okay, next, okay, next, okay, blink, next. But immersion proves to become embarrassing or offensive to some people when they would tolerate such a thing. I saw some folks fighting in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And a man came to the chaplain and said, Chaplain, I've been saved. And he says, Well, great. And y'all ought to be baptized. Chaplain said, well, let's see. Uh, let's do it. No! Well, we could get home. No. They would dig a hole in the sand and put a piece of plastic and put enough water and they dunk it right there in the sand. The water in the sand. And they said, he's been baptized. Now, you say, I've got a problem with that. No, I would too, but at least they got the howl down the manner it's immersion. And predictably, we're called Baptists. We were originally called Anabaptists, which means, oh, you're doing it over. Like the original didn't really count. Well, if it, if it ain't the real deal, it didn't count anyway. You might, when you were a little kid, you up the in the stream and say, Let, let's have some fun. And I'll baptize you. Boop, boop. Okay. Now you baptize me. Boop, boop. Okay. I'm not baptized. Being dunked ain't the same. It needs to be done upon one's profession of faith. That's the answer of a good conscience before God. That's very much akin to our next thought, which the Lord willing will deal with next week. And that is where biblical baptism ought to be administered because some folks sometimes have some unbiblical views. So let's see what the scriptures have to say. I think probably pretty much we're on the right page, but it never hurts to go over these basic things. For now let's stand and uh, we'll sing.